What's going on, 2017? <laughs> it's interesting. I uh, spent years wondering what 2017 was going to sound like. And uh, apparently it sounds like a few mildly enthusiastic humans. Okay, we had a little bit better reaction this service. You guys get it. That was a joke. Uh, Ten points for anybody who can uh, tell me the literary device employed in that joke. Sarcasm. Sarcasm. <laughs> I don't think that's a literary. Personification. I'm talking about a year like it's people. Come on. Over two. That joke is reason number 2,000 why the staff decided to start live streaming services next week. <laughs> really, I think is that terrible. Anyways, John said, my name is Matt. I'm the youth pastor here. I'm incredibly excited to be here this morning. What a, what a great opportunity to get, to get the year kicked off. Close the books on 2016. Look forward at the next 365 days. What a great opportunity. Um, I think back to 2016 and of all the moments that kind of create the experience of a year, there are always several that I kind of take with me from a year that it just impressed something upon me that shook me up a little bit, that changed me. I could say, you know, that moment in 2016 changed me. Some good, some bad, some weird, right? Um, and so one of those moments for me in 2016 was actually a dream I had. And it was very odd to say that of, of all the moments that compose the year, maybe a dream would be one that impressed something uh, permanent upon you. But I had this dream in 2016, uh, and maybe, maybe I'm just taking it with me into the future because I never wake up and can articulate what it was I was dreaming about. Maybe because this dream was so vivid, maybe because this dream was a little bit weird, I'm taking it with me. But I had this dream in 2016 that I got into this huge bar fight at a bachelor party because somebody was talking poorly about my wife, Robin. So in this dream, I end up getting locked up in a Pittsburgh city jail. And I get one phone call, I get to make one phone call, and you, could, you might be able to guess who I called with my one phone call. Yeah, I call, I call John and Derek. Right? And apparently at two in the morning when I'm locked up in jail, they're together having a slumber party or something. And I'm talking to both of them on the phone. This is a dream, a weird dream. I admitted that already. Um, so I call them with my one phone call and I confess, say, hey, you guys need to know this first from me. I'm in jail. I got in this big bar fight, uh, you know, and I just wanted you to know that. And I'm bracing for the worst, right? <laughs> I imagine that's not a phone call you want to get from your youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody, youth pastor's locked up. Can we get some money together to bail him out? No. Uh, so I'm bracing for the worst, but what they decide at the end of our conversation is that as a consequence for my behavior, uh, they were going to make me come out on stage the following Sunday in front of you all. You all were in my dream. It's crazy. I can see the faces. No, uh, I had to come out on stage and explain myself to you. That was the consequence. Okay, so sure enough, the following Sunday, 
John just finishes the announcements and he says to you all, he says, okay, everybody, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different, something we've never done before, uh, something that we don't, we don't really like to do. Um, but I need to bring Matt on the stage because he has some things he needs to explain. He's got some explaining to do. And he had this long cone-shaped hat. No, that was not part of the dream. Um, but I come out on stage, he hands me the microphone, and I'm just standing there, mute, trying to figure out what to say, how to explain myself. I, I got in this big bar fight. It's uh, inappropriate behavior, whatever. And actually, in my mind, I'm stuck because I have these two really distinct sentiments going on. On one side of my brain, there's this profuse apology prepared that says, I am so sorry. Like, it's embarrassing. Uh, I'll never do it again. I know violence is not the answer, right? And on the other side of my brain, there's this like brazen machismo that says, I'm not sorry. I would do it again in a second. That guy had it coming to him. He needed somebody to put him in his place, right? And so I had these two competing sentiments going on in my brain. And neither of them are really able to make their way to the center of my brain and out my mouth. And so I'm just standing here in front of everybody, mute. And, uh, And it gets really awkward, as if it wasn't awkward to begin with. Then all of a sudden, this third sentiment floods my mind and pushes the other two kind of to the periphery. And I find some clarity. And it's this sentiment, it's this third sentiment that kind of ends up being spoken out of my mouth. And in my dream, as soon as I speak it out, I wake up. And it's over. And it was so vivid and so real. And that never happens to me. So I was like, what is up with that? And it's this thing that I wrestled with all the next day, this thing that I said. And what I said, what I ended up saying, uh, was just very succinct, very short. Um, It wasn't really a a full explanation. What I said was this. I said, um, Robin, that's my wife, Robin needs to know that she's worth fighting for, is what I said. And boom, I woke up, dream over. I actually shared this dream with Robin, and her response was, well, that's great. When is real life Matt going to catch up with <laughs> Dreamland Matt? She gets me. She gets me every time. The day after this dream, it is st- sticking with me. It was so vivid, so real. And, and what came out of my mouth I thought was so powerful. And so I'm just thinking through it. What I said was, Robin needs to know that she is worth fighting for. My wife needs to know. It is essential that she knows the value she has to me. And she cannot move forward in life doubting her worth. She can't. She needs to know that she's worth fighting for. And this is, this is what I spoke out. And this is what was messing with me. And then that very next day, it dawns on me. It dawns on me this. And this is why I bring it up this morning. If you could sum up in one succinct statement, what it was exactly that Jesus Christ was trying to communicate to us, to me, to you, to every single one of us as individuals when he made that decision to take on flesh, to live amongst us, to endure undeserved suffering on a cross. If you could say, Jesus, what was that all about? Why did you do that? He would say, that very thing, listen, my children need to know they need to know. It is imperative that it is so essential that they know how I feel about them. They can have no doubt in their mind about this very thing. 
And what I did, I did because I had to demonstrate for them in a way that they could see, in a way that they will never forget, so they will never doubt, so they will know, and they can move through life knowing their value, knowing their worth, knowing that they are worth every bit. For me, as God in heaven, they are worth every single ounce of fight I have. I will lay it all on the line. I will, it's, that's why. If you could sum it up, God's saying, listen, you guys need to know how much you're worth to me and what I am willing to do to be in relationship with you. That's your value. That's your worth. And listen, I know that for some of us, 2016 was a year where we actually leave that year wondering more than ever what it is about us that's valuable. And we question that and we question our worth. And 2016, for some of us, was a year where when we needed someone to fight for us the most, they didn't. And in fact, they chose to fight for something or someone else instead of us. And, and we're left just, man, questioning. We spend a year you know, scrambling at work, at home, around, and working so hard to try to prove our value to ourselves, prove our value to everyone around us, value me, right? My prayer for 2017 is this. This will be a year. What, what God says about our worth as demonstrated through what he was willing to endure to, to communicate that to us would become known by all of us deeply and intimately, personally. And knowing that would provide so much satisfaction to our souls. It would give us rest and it would free us. And we could rest knowing that my life has this incredible worth and it was demonstrated by God himself. And it will free me from another year of, man, scrambling. I need to prove my worth at work. I need to prove it, that I have value. I need to prove it at home and be freed from that. This morning, I just want to take a minute and pray. And this prayer is for that very thing, that what God has to say about our worth is demonstrated by what he accomplished, what he went through, when a cross would become known to us in a very deep and personal way, it would give us rest and it would give us freedom this year. And we're going to stop and pray and, and maybe this prayer is for you because it's something that is difficult for you. Maybe this prayer is for someone you know who you want so badly to know how valuable they are. You want them to know in their heart what they're worth and it's something they struggle with. And so let's just take a minute and, and pray this morning for that. Pray with me. Father, this event that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus, you, you undeservedly suffered on a cross and experienced death and separation from the Father. You went through that to show us what we're worth to you. It's a mystery. God, this year, will you make that mystery known to us in really deep and personal ways, in ways that satisfy our souls, that give us rest and give us freedom? Will you help us to cling to this truth that our value comes from what you say about us and what you have gone through to show your love for us? 
And God, may that truth free us from another year of scrambling to try to prove our worth and our value in the eyes of people around us, in the eyes of our, ourselves. And may it give us rest. Help us to experience peace and joy. Amen. All right. Listen, with, with the time we have left, which isn't a, a lot of time, I want to spend talking about one adjustment we might all make in 2017 that has the potential to transform our relationship with God, transform our experience of God himself. I look at this hour we have together on Sunday morning in a, in a very real way, like a halftime of a football game. And 2016 was the first half and we went out and we played it and man, we had some successes. We ran some great plays, but uh, you know, we made some, some mistakes and we're in a locker room together. We're all in a locker room together and we get to draw up some adjustments and go out into 2017 and, and put those to work. So um, I don't know, it, I suppose that there are a few of us that are feeling like, hey, I'm not making any adjustments because 2016, I nailed it. Like I was killing it in 2016. <laughs> Decision making, killing it. Discipline, killing it. Like I'm not changing a single thing. But if you are like me, you're thinking, okay, I'm looking at 2017 and I'm thinking about some adjustments. Okay, I'm thinking about dietary adjustments. This is the year I can no longer convince myself that Doritos are appropriate for breakfast. <laughs> it's not better with milk in a bowl. <laughs> Make some dietary adjustments, okay? Maybe you want to make some uh, hygienic adjustments. Maybe this is the year, 2017, you're going to try a new deodorant, right? You're going to suffer through that stalker complex for about two weeks. You know what I'm saying? The stalker complex, and you're just sitting there and, wait, is somebody, somebody standing right behind me? Oh, wait, no, that's me. I just smell different now, right? It's a, it's a real thing. Try it. Try a new deodorant in 2017. Tell me how it works for you. Okay, no, let's... Get back on track. Maybe we're thinking about adjustments financially. Maybe we're thinking about adjustments occupationally, relationally, whatever it is. This morning, just one adjustment we might consider making spiritually in 2017 that has the potential to transform our relationship with God and our experience of God. We're going to read a very short passage out of the book of Amos, uh, make an observation and go from there. Um, so we're looking at Amos. And essentially, Amos is a narrative that describes God pursuing his people. God desiring greater levels of experience relationally with his people, God frustrated. God really frustrated with his people because they have kind of cut him out. God really frustrated because, man, they're, they're living all, all kinds of ways that just, they don't, they don't, they're not in line with his character, they're not in line with his heart, and God is frustrated. So God sends Amos, a prophet, up to the northern kingdom to speak to the high priest and the king and communicate his frustration. And that prophet is Amos. And um, so what we're going to look at this morning is just... Israel's response to, uh, to Amos, Israel's response to God's word through Amos, and uh, that's what we're looking at this morning. So here we are, um, Amos has been sharing God's frustration, uh, and in chapter 7, verse 12 and 13, we read the response. Then Amaziah, this was the high priest, said to Amos, get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn Judah. Earn your bread there. Do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this 
is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Bottom line, think about this response. Amaziah is saying, Amos, God's voice, not welcome here. God's input, not received here. Why? This is not God's place. This temple you're standing in, it's not God's. It's the king's. King's going to do what he wants because it belongs to the king. This sanctuary is the king's, and this temple is that of the kingdom. Bottom line, we own this. We run this. Our temple, we're going to do what we want. Our kingdom, we're going to live in it how we want. Our fields, we'll use them as we please. Our buildings, look, we own it. We're going to decide what to do with it. God doesn't belong to you, so your input is really not welcome. And it's very clear that through this response that Israel has adopted this attitude of ownership. It's an attitude of ownership that has really cut God out. And it's interesting, 750 years later, when Jesus has taken on flesh and he's living amongst the people, he's speaking to a group of religious leaders and he's speaking to a group of teachers and he shares a parable that kind of expresses or highlights the same sentiment. And I wanted to, to, to bring it up this morning. Um, Jesus is speaking, and we find this in Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Here's the parable. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard that I imagine he felt like belonged to him. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. The inheritance will be ours. The fruit of this land will be ours. This wine press, this watchtower, it will belong to us. And in fact, you can imagine that in their mind, they already viewed it that way. They already viewed it as their own. Hey, listen, we've been occupying it. We've been working it. We've been maintaining it. We have been improving it. It's ours. It belongs to us. We've been the ones working it. We've been the ones occupying it. It belongs to us. And they have adopted this attitude of ownership, something that didn't necessarily belong to them. But in their minds, they decided, hey, yeah, we're going to adopt this attitude of ownership. And who it really belonged to, they cut him out. Because an attitude of ownership cuts out. 
What I love about these two passages, this, this parable that Jesus tells and, and what we read in Amos is that when I read this, I see myself all over these words. When I think about my life, when I think about my stuff, when I think about my resources, my talents, my, my, my very being, I so often find my place exactly where Israel was, exactly where these tenants were, in a place where, listen, I've been occupying it, I've been maintaining it, I've been improving it, I've been working it, and slowly, subtly, I find myself in a place of my mouth. I can say what I want with it. My body, I can put what I want into it. With my stuff, my car, I'll drive it where I please. My computer, I'll watch whatever I want to on it. And I find myself in a place having an attitude of ownership that cuts God out. And in a sense, it's true, and suggesting anything otherwise seems a little bit ludicrous. But I guess what I want to just talk about this morning is wrestling with, is there one adjustment we can make that might transform our relationship with God and our experience of God? Because you think about that parable Jesus told, and you think about how it plays out differently. If those who were hired to work what did not belong to them, if they were able to somehow, some way, maintain this right view of themselves on someone else's property, and day in and day out, they're reminding themselves, listen, we have this incredible privilege to work this wine press. We have this incredible privilege to do the best we can, to grow this fruit, to press that. Like, we have this incredible privilege to steward this well. How then would they have received the air? They say, hey, here comes the air. Come on, let's roll out the red carpet. Here comes the air. Let's show him let's, what we've been doing. Let's invite him in to see what belongs to him and have a say in what's, what's happening here. Hey, air, come on in. Hey, sit down. What do you think about we've done with, what we've done with the wine press? What do you think? Like, make, get, make yourself comfortable. And it's fascinating for me to think about this in terms of, look, as previously an attitude of ownership may cut God out, it's an attitude of stewardship that invites God in. And I think about my life and my resources and all this stuff, and, and, and I find myself in, an added, in a place where I've adopted an attitude of ownership that says, listen, my mouth, I'll say what I want with it, but, but what, if, what if there was an adjustment made and, and I could approach all these things with an attitude of stewardship that invites God in and say, listen, Lord God, it, it all belongs to you. You are invited in to have a say about how I use it. My body, God, it all belongs to you. You are invited in to have a say about how it is used. Think about how that might transform our relationship with God and our experience of God. We, uh, we love to talk about this downstairs with the high schoolers almost every week. So downstairs, we have a little box, a little donation box in the corner of our room, and it has pictures, photos of all of the children we sponsor through Compassion International on it. And every week, we, we talk about it so that we don't forget, right? Because uh, it's a small box. And, um, and we talk about 
the children and we pray for the children and we talk about how sponsoring them is, uh, you know, it, it, it costs money. Um, and here's a, the thing. I know, like, if we had a box like that in my church growing up, I might hear something like this. I might hear something like, uh, okay, everybody, like, hey, and don't forget about the box in the back for our compassion children. And remember that Scripture teaches that, um, you know, that we're to tithe. And so and tithe can be 10% or a certain percent. And so if, you know, like, if you want to, be obedient in that, then this is a great opportunity for you to do that. And, um, but we don't talk about it that way downstairs with the high schoolers. Instead, we talk about it along these lines. And we talk about that box. We say, hey, everybody, listen, if you are considering adopting an attitude of stewardship where God is invited in to have a say and you're saying, God, it all belongs to you, then this is an incredible opportunity for you to say exactly that. God, it all belongs to you. I want to use it toward the things that you're doing around our world, towards the, the, the redemptive work that you're doing around the world. And there's such an amazing difference there because the first one is this. It's like, hey, listen, 10% belongs to God, right? So he's invited in to have a say about what we do with it. But 90%, 90% that belongs to me. What we don't want to do is talk about our lives, our stuff, our money, our talents, in that kind of way where we're negotiating with God, saying, God, yes, this percent belongs to you, and you're invited to have a say in what I do with it, but this very large percent of my life belongs to me, and I'll use it how I please. We do this with money. We do this with our time. Um, I, I want to close up, wrap up here soon. But I did want to show you a video. For those of you that don't know, uh, before Robin and I moved to D.C., I was on staff at a church in Oregon, Central Oregon. Any Oregonians in the house? Bend, Central Oregon. Love it. Okay. Compass Church. And it was just a baby church. We were just starting. And uh, in a church where you're just starting in your first few years, um, basically, if you have a guitar and you can strum chords, you are the worship leader. (laughs) Go for it. And so when I moved out to Oregon, I took my guitar with me. Big mistake. I should have just left it at home because someone just gave it to me. They said, oh, you're going to Oregon to be a youth pastor. You need a guitar. (laughs) Apparently that's a thing. So I learned a few chords and I go out there and I got my guitar. I know some chords. They're like, okay, you're going to lead worship, right? So actually, I just really wanted to share that with you. So here's a sneak peek. Check out my energy in this video. I'm so into this song. We've got a bunch of youth group kids up on the stage with me. I know. That was amazing. Back in the day. Listen, I bring it up because uh, that short amount of time they asked me to lead worship at that church. (laughs) You notice I'm no longer working for that church. (laughs) Uh, there, was a, there was a practice. The band was together, and we were running through songs for the upcoming Sunday. And one of the songs was a song that I love, very high energy, very fun. It was a song by David Crowder Band. Um, a song that there's um, a, a good portion of that song, there are no words, just a bunch of na, na, nas. Right? Um, and we were practicing this song, and one of the singers in, in, our, in our band, when we got to the 
part of the song that was na, 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 she stopped singing. She just kind of fell off. And I noticed, and I thought, hey, what's up with that? I just noticed that maybe you stopped singing when we get to the na, na, na. She said, yeah, I really cannot stand that part of the song. She said, I'm not going to sing that part of the song. And I said, I didn't know what to say, like a young kid, right? Uh, and, I, and I should maybe have, I should have been able to maybe encourage her in some smart way or influence, God, I don't know, whatever. I said, uh, well, I, maybe we should just, we should try to stay together the whole song. That's what I said. Maybe that's important. And uh, she said, okay, here's the deal. I'll sing the na-na-na's on Sunday because Sunday belongs to God. But I'm not singing the na-na-na's here during practice today. Message this morning is this. In light of the truth that an attitude of ownership might cut God out and an attitude of stewardship invites God in, we're looking at 365 days ahead of us. And I just really want to encourage everybody as we go about this new year to consider going before God and praying this prayer, asking God this. God, will you show me areas of my life that you feel cut out of? Because I've been approaching it with an attitude of ownership And when we think about our time, when we think about our resources, when we think about our talents, when we think about our very selves and our lives, I mean, this wonder, man, would this transform our relationship with God and our experience of God? Will it, will it, will it open up the door for God to have the kind of relationship with us that he so desperately wants to come before him and say, God, will you show me areas of my life that you feel cut out of because I've been approaching it with an attitude of ownership. God, and will you help me see how I can make an adjustment in 2017 and what it might look like to approach this area of my life, whether it's time, talents, resources, whatever it is, what it might look like if I make an adjustment and approach it with an attitude of stewardship that says, God, it belongs to you. You are invited to have a say in what gets done with it. How might 2017 be different? We've got the worship team up here in, in a second. We're just going to stand and, um, and close with singing the chorus of our last song. Um, but I'd like to end uh, with prayer about this very same thing. So would you pray with me? Father, um, I know you have very high hopes for 2017. You are looking at this year through a lens of your love. God, you want so much for us and the way we experience you and the relationship we have with you. God, you made a statement about our worth 2,000 years ago that you'd hope that we cling to more and more every day. You demonstrated your love for us and the value you place on our lives in a way that cannot be undone. God, help us to cling to that and 
push into that this year. God, will you reveal to our hearts areas of our lives that we have just, man, just over time, we started approaching with an attitude of ownership and you feel cut out of. And will you give us a vision for what it might look like to approach that area of our life with an attitude of stewardship that says, God, it belongs to you. You are invited to have a say in how it's used and what it looks like. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.